a podcast called What Am I Doing With My Life by Andrea Sadowski. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another podcast. Today, we finally have some masculine energy on the pod. Our first boy guest, Taryn. I think he is the fourth guest I've had on this podcast that I met through working at the Cascade, UFE's student newspaper. And that just goes to show you that if you're in university now or planning to go to university and listening to this, get involved in campus life. Find a society, an organization, a club that resonates with you and you will find your people there. You'll make lasting friendships that go beyond classes and beyond graduation. Truly, I have so much to be thankful for because of that little dinky school newspaper. And if you're not in university and you're lacking community, Go out and find it. Again, find a club or a society or an association, a volunteer opportunity, whatever. Something that aligns with your values and your interests, and you'll find your people there. Anyways, that's enough of my spiel. So Taryn, our guest today, is a sports journalist. He was the sports editor at the Cascade newspaper, the program manager at Civil Radio, UFE's campus radio station, and he's currently doing a semester abroad in London. So if you want to follow along on his journey, be sure to follow him on Instagram. I'll include all the links in the description of this episode. Luckily, we found the time to sit down before he flew overseas, and this episode is a really good one. We start talking about community journalism and end up getting really deep into mental health struggles. And it's really refreshing to hear someone who identifies as a male talk so openly and honestly about their mental health struggles and advocate so much for counseling and the benefits of medication and destigmatizing, you know, talking about that. So it's just a really great conversation and I'll let you listen now. Thanks for being here. Should we get started? We should. We shall. We shall. Okay, I'm with Taryn. We met one day. I was working in the Cascade office. The Cascade is UFE's student newspaper. And you just walked in and were like, yeah, I see this job posting for sports editor. This is sports writer. Sports writer. Yeah. And, oh, we weren't hiring a sports editor? No, it was sports writer. And then I think in the middle of the interview, you, you and... Chan- Chandy, who was the band chair at the time, were texting the uh, editor, mm. and he was like, "If he wants the editor job, I don't want it." And so the, <laughs> was like in the middle of the interview, like, "Do you want the editor job?" I was like, "Sure." I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, there we go, and that's yeah, that's where it started. Yes, and so since then, you've just gone really hard into journalism and taken advantage of every opportunity at UFE. I was a similar. When I was at UFE, because it's it's a great school, because there's so few students and so many opportunities. So, like, you apply to something and you're going to get it if your application is strong enough, because there's not a lot of people applying to do yeah. all the opportunities that are offered there. Yeah, it really depends on the, the field. I think, like, you and I really lucked out because our chosen fields... There's not the same, but like if you're a poli science business student, it's there's so much more mm-hmm. in there. Sciences too, but mm-hmm. yeah, community schools really are great for that. So to, you're still in school. Yes. This is your fourth year. I think like third, third and a half. I had to drop a few kind of credits and electives. I funny enough, I, I found out that I took a like almost a full year and a bit, like like two two almost three semesters. Of just like straight electives, mm. and I didn't really know. I it was before I had learned and sat with an actual advisor to actually mm. read what you need to do to mm. graduate. Once I found that out, it was oh, I really waste quote unquote wasted some time. Yeah, but, but that's cool that you like you took courses that you thought were cool, right? Yeah, very much was. I like this. This sounds cool. Mm. Just funny enough, it really wasn't until I got the job at the Cascade that I really like knew when how to hone in on what I actually wanted to do mm. and actually getting some experience in that before I actually started like really find like creating the niche where I was going to go and advocate through. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when you can take those opportunities and you actually like and actually work through them. Yeah, they lead to some some pretty amazing things now. Mm -hmm. So you also started university late, right? Yeah. Like uh, later on. Yeah, I started in like, 
I, I, I tried almost a little bit dressed out of high school and didn't last a full semester. <laughs> um, I was just in a weird place. Like, yeah. when you were 17, 18, I had no real direction. And then I, like, wasted another, like... I graduated in 2011, and I didn't go back until about 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about 24-ish. 24-ish? Maybe a bit older there? Because I just turned 30 um, in September, so yeah, about so that. So you've been in school six years now? About that, yeah. But that's where, like, that whole year of taking electives and all oh. that stuff. And I was, you know, I've been working full-time every single semester. So I'm only really taking two, maybe three classes mm-hmm. um, per semester, it's been a wild six yes. years. Thanks for reminding me that I'm the Van <laughs> Wilder of, of, of UFB, and I don't know how to think about that now. But I mean, some people yeah. just take a long time. Like that's yeah. If you're working, you don't want to take five courses on top of. I tried that once. Sem- yeah, I tried that one semester, and don't ever do it. I I've done that, but I've worked in jobs where literally I was just paid to kind of like sit around so I could do my schoolwork while on the job. And oh, that's really lucky. the only time that's possible. Yeah, I I was a I was working as a custodian when I went back to school, um, and so I finally have te- technically quit that job now. And I was on there for like six years before I mm. took the opportunity that I uh, for the position I'm currently in now at the radio station in um, at UFB. But that was a you know I did classes from like eight a.m. until one, and then I would drive back to Chilliwack start work at 2, 2.30, and I'm there until 11, then I'm studying wow. at night, doing that Monday to Friday, and then I was also working a part-time job at a, another place where it was also pretty chill, and I could do my studying there, but yeah, I was working a full-time and a part-time job through most of my university, through most of it until like about last year. Crazy. Yeah, and I sometimes miss the money, <laughs> that you kind of the extra walking around money it's really interesting when you have that part-time job and like oh that 500 dollars a month really helps mm-hmm. uh but at the same time i would not be able to do the kind of op- take the opportunities focus more on like the writing mm-hmm. um and the journalism side of like the cascade um and to get to like the opportunities that i'm doing now and yeah. i'm really excited for it, so yeah so you work as a sports editor for the cascade and you work as the station Program manager? What's your program? program? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I'll. You're one of the first to, to. I will be formally the sports editor in January. Like as of January, I put my notice in. Um, but yeah, program manager, and I'm also the newscaster at Civil Radio, uh, which is the UFE campus community mm-hmm. radio station. Yeah. So why radio? Why did you go into that? Um, it was really the only opportunity uh, through the UFE co-op program that I, I decided to go to. Through. It was the only opportunity that gave me like journalism and actually looked kind of locally. I actually almost took a job doing um, like media communications and PR for a firm out in like Vancouver. Mm. And I was going to go back and forth to Vancouver wow. every single day. And Damn. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then and then um, the station manager at Civil just said like, no, I want you be great you stay local and i mm-hmm. said okay sure i'll i'll stay local and uh a year and in a few months later i'm here talking to you about it it's great probably <laughs> one of the greatest like changes of my life that i've ever done it awesome. really found home um and also it's just fun the amount of people that you work with and the volunteers mm-hmm. what you're kind of doing and uh like i think the real thrill like when you first get on air it's it's and know that you're on li- you're live and your your voice is out there. People are listening to you and mm. you, the you kind of like your own personality kind of gets to take over. And it's mm. kind of like kind of when you go on stage in a way, but mm. it's a rush. And I love the rush of being able to have a voice on air and um, the technology you're using, like podcasting, all the stuff that you're learning is is a lot of fun. And I mm-hmm. that's just like it's really kind of a natural progression to kind of what I wanted to do Mm. with media and and journalism. And yeah, it was just an opportunity to stay local and do that. Do you not get stage fright? Um, weird, like not really, not anymore. I think the first time when I, when I got through all the hoops you have to go through to get your own show with, uh, and I got mine, the first few episodes and the first little bit, yeah, you kind of get there, but then eventually you, um, and and I had a really great co-host for it. Um, the two of you f- really figure out like your own 
like like vibes mm. and you really get to create it your own and once you really find how you like to communicate and how you like to administer and like do your content then mm-hmm. it's just second nature and um it's almost like you get to kind of have a character of yourself or like mm-hmm. a character that you want of yourself mm-hmm. and yeah the only thing is when you have to do like promos and stuff like the, the amount of takes you do and it gets in your head that's the only like Mm-hmm. draw of actually like on-air content but it's also fun when you ran you're listening to it randomly and you can just kind of mm-hmm. hear like oh yeah that is something i did uh because it's a cam- campus community station you're still serving the greater and overall community you're not just the campus side of ufe that's all obviously like a really massive focus but yeah our volunteer base primarily cur- currently it's primarily non-students oh really? and so yeah and sometimes you really like i kind of love it because and because uh, the the the, re- the regular students are um, like they're always so nervous and it's hard and it's so hard to manage with them because um, the, at the beginning of each semester they're super happy go lucky and then they kind of dip for a, a minute because class is so intense mm. and then they come back and it's like well you like you have to almost get you, you almost have to retrain them completely because they spent three four months not being around and mm-hmm. that. that's really weird that there's the volunteer base for like a student society funded by students the whole volunteer base not the whole but the majority of it aren't students yeah well it's it's really like kind of the timing right yeah so if you're taking four classes the students who are really interested are like your second third years Mm -hmm. that really kind of want to like let's see what i'm really doing here Mm -hmm. uh we got a lot of first years uh aaron levy the station manager and i um the last couple's big semesters we've got a lot of first years who just want to do every single thing, but then they learn within October, oh, you, you really can't. And producing a one-hour-long radio program, like, takes a lot of effort. Like, mm-hmm. it sounds really silly to say. Obviously, it takes a lot of effort, but there's a lot of steps you have to take and and to have a good quality show that really is going to get you what you want. Mm. takes time and effort, and sometimes that's hard to do as a student. But also, the amount of students that come up like oh we just didn't know you existed yeah is is crazy yes yeah i didn't know civil existed until i started working for the cascade because the office is right next to i didn't i didn't know until i did the um the co-op program Mm. actually and i remember asking aaron where even is the civil office and he goes like despite the cascade you (laughs) you were in the cascade all the time i was like oh (laughs) so there we go and i feel really bad admitting that but also it's like I think it just shows the value of what happens when you do know it's there mm-hmm. and you do put the time and effort. Um, not say like I'm a huge crazy success story, but you know, there's like if you like you talk to Aaron, there's a lot of students that went through civil and also the cascade that end up having like good successes. Go got a lot of experience through the radio and mm-hmm. that that took them far uh, mm-hmm. in what they do, and it really is those like more professional side like experiences that take you out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, or even like not so much keep you out of the classroom but you really get to use what you've learned in the classroom in an actual like pseudo-professional setting in a lot mm-hmm. of ways that really help the most mm-hmm. so why did you decide to go into journalism um i kind of fell into it i actually didn't know i was going to go into journalism until i took the job as a sports editor oh what yeah i really only i'll admit i only really applied because it was the place i knew that would give me some like some sort of editing and publishing spirit experience on a regular. But why like, did you want that editing publishing experience in the first place? I, I really just wanted to be a writer in some case. Nice. I, I really actually wanted... I took. I was taking economics and media and and, and um, creative writing at UFE. And I really just wanted to get into like television and movie writing. Mm. That's the big one because I was always so angry at Hollywood. I was like, just make <laughs> write a good story, Star Wars. And then, um, and then someone, my friend told me to do it myself. And so I did it for fun and ended up really enjoying like what that kind of storytelling was. Mm. It was really after the, like my first set of articles with, with you, you and how that process was, was working with you and Chandy and like how, and like the level of pride you get. Um, I still remember the first uh, picture that I think you, one of you took with me with the first set of articles I have. Um, mm. I, I that, that was it. Uh, that's what sold it for me a lot was going to like those, it was like an Abbasir Canucks game and a few things. And I read those articles and they're so bad, but, <laughs> but it's a journey process of it. Mm-hmm. And I just like 
love the kind of opinion-based object objectivity you could have. It's a really important one. I think it's a very unsung field how important journalism is and good journalism mm -hmm. especially and being able to kind of learn that those techniques and skills and contribute to that and realize a lot of like what you're telling are, are is a lot of sometimes all, supposed to be the truth but uh you're really just kind of connecting with a lot of people and telling those stories and you're really being a voice for others that mm -hmm. really like resonated with me and obviously you know, i'm a sports guy so when i could go to a sports game for whatever reason and, and get to take this all in and live sports there's nothing like live sports so being mm -hmm. able to be there and then also get the experience of talking to the players like you're, these dream opportunities you think of as a kid that mm -hmm. you don't even think you you want and then getting to actually realize them that's mm -hmm. what did it it was just it was really important to me uh, my, my uncle from my mother's side was a journalist um and a great editor and it was actually um like connecting that with him like right before he passed away i got to really show him those articles the first the, those first first articles and realize like how important it was mm. um to my family and that that helped a lot just a lot of it was just a really random circumstance that connected a lot of like different families aspects but also think like what my talents were as that i didn't know i had mm -hmm. they all kind of connected well to journalism mm -hmm. and just the like job itself is what does it like every time i do a story that is a really tough one to do because it involves a lot of heavy subject matter or um like it's just a really intense story to hear from someone that just makes me want to do it more because mm -hmm. you've really seen how important it is mm -hmm. and where like some people don't get the opportunities to have their stories be told and there are some things that really do help question like like, I have a whole saying where, like, I always joke, like, I don't trust anyone that makes more money than me. And I get to directly question those who make more money than me in, in municipal, municipality power. And I get to actually mm -hmm. make these questions that a lot of people have. I can bring it to them and mm -hmm. hear good answers. And often, most of the time, hear bad, bad answers. But you get those positions. And, yeah. yeah, it's just a really important field that mm -hmm. I think has been lost in a lot of ways. Like, the importance yeah. of it has been lost. But the more we strive for it and the more we get to work for it, the more we get to create it. So. The Cascade was really cool because it was so independent. Like, we weren't reliant on any advertisers. Like, the student body was our primary funders. And that was really cool because you, like, because there's some, like, independent publications in the Fraser Valley that say they're independent but they rely on advertising which they have to like mm -hmm. if they don't have subscribers they have to make a living but it makes me think like what stories are you holding back from writing or what's like how is your writing changed in order to attract these types of advertisers and yeah i, I know i know exactly what you mean i saw that really be put into effect when i started with uh civil the radio station because there's a whole thing that we talk that we talk about that explains the difference between a campus community station and even the nuances between campus and community because there's even some that are just straight campus in some community mm -hmm. and then professional stations which are and the, the which are like you know your typical radio stations that you see and it's very similar to what you kind of just said there where the the phrase that i heard was at a professional station you are selling ad space to listen to music mm -hmm. right you're you're like you're you're peppering ads with music whereas with campus and community you're listening to music to hear voices and then maybe some ads sometimes because mm -hmm. community stations you know you, it goes everywhere like the difference between campus and a straight campus and a straight community station is that communities have to do more advertising um to stay to stay alive and yeah that i think that um, uniqueness in where the funding comes for campus stations and and thus the Cascade does provide a lot of cool opportunities and it's fun. Like the mm. like the um, like the, some of my favorite bits that we had in the Cascade were like the snapshots or just kind of the random articles you just would never have thought would be mm. in there. That kind of you can not so much be unfiltered, but you can have just more creativity in your storytelling. And yeah, like. The professional publications, yeah, there's a level of strict journalism being done that campus that campus isn't getting, but mm -hmm. 
that doesn't mean the opportunities aren't there to do it. Again, it's hard to say. It's hard to say anything else, but like, it's just a lot of fun. Are you ever afraid of like the future of journalism and job security as a journalist? Like, where do you like? Yeah, the field is always changing, and like, yeah, recently you're not allowed to share news on social media, and the Cascade had to start a whole new. Yeah, everyone did with C eighteen. Um, yeah, uh, I yeah, I definitely am. Like, mm-hmm. the, to, to be put it, put it bluntly, yeah. And I think that most, I think everyone in the industry is nervous or apprehensive to a point, unless mm-hmm. you're, you've been in it for so long, you know that you got the tenure behind it. Um, but I think a lot of different jobs are under the same kind of, like, in the same position of being nervous of what they are. F- for me, like, the, the biggest thing is, in the sports field, it's it's kind of funny because you always think that there's a whole, whole lot of competition. And there really is. There is a lot of competition for these very specific roles and, and higher-ups and that. But when I've gone to these professional games, everyone there is so excited to have someone come in because they mm. don't usually get a lot of new, new, new people. Mm. So they're happy for people to try and learn learn this and see if they can do it and, and that. And so there, there's a really cool influx of people wanting to get into it. Mm-hmm. I think what makes me the most nervous for job security um, isn't so much about like the competition behind the jobs. It's the fact that being a getting the label of it as a journalist it isn't easy. Like a, a proper qualified journalist isn't easy, mm-hmm. but it's also incredibly easy. Yeah, in the sense that. Um, you can grab a, you can grab a microphone, a computer, make get a website for all under like three hundred dollars, yeah. And you can make a blog, and yeah. you can just blog, 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 and 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 look up how look up article writing and templates, mm-hmm. copy that template, put some work into that, and then get invited to let's use a really famous example, the White House mm. uh, that happened for four years from 2016 to 2020. We had, a, there was a president that had, that could fill in the journalist thing, the journal, the journalism of the White House is whoever he wants to ask whatever questions mm. they want. And that, that has become a practice with the internet and, and that, and I'm not saying that, this, so there's a lot of positives mm-hmm. that you can see with how that could work, but there's also a lot of negatives of, of like, unqualified journalism being yeah. pra- practiced and i think that's the real threat to the job security mm-hmm. is the fear of unqualified journalism being practiced versus when there actually is qualified depending on what field you want to get into it's it's harder right mm-hmm. so like use music journalists have some that can have like an easy time a harder time art, art art journalists and even depending on their what kind of art they're doing Local news is always a classic. Local news and culture always mm-hmm. ones that there. There's always people and opportunities, um, but like funny enough, with at least the Cascade and some of the other uh, outlets I've looked at, the opinion based sections are always harder to get into because everyone wants to get into those yeah. ones because everyone's got those an opinion. The, yeah, everyone's got their opinions and those are the fun ones. Mm-hmm. Um, sports is really tough because there's a lot of turnover because. If you don't know what you're talking about and you're not doing the research on these things, you're not getting, mm-hmm. you're not getting through mm-hmm. and making it. And like, it's really easy to go. And I'm not saying like, I'm going, I'm this expert of this, but like, I got called out from like one of the first times that an Abbotsford Canucks game, I uh, was reported to in the media scrums and someone came in and player came in, did, did the round of questions. I'm last because I'm the, I'm the university student and the organization <laughs> knows it. So I asked my question, the player leaves, and the guy beside me goes like, oh, so you've never done this before. What? <laughs> yeah. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, I have never done this before at all. And he's like, okay. And that's where I learned how how many of them are just like, okay, I'll help you out. Like Nice. And that became a thing where I was doing a, um, I was doing the Abbey Canucks games during the playoffs, and every, at the, at the media scrum, I had to ask the first question because the Round of journalists were like, okay, Taryn, you're going to start us off Aww. and you're going to come up with, with, with at least two. And they taught me through the, talked me through the games and like, oh, what are you thinking of doing? And, that, mm. and you'd write it down. And there's a lot of that. That's so nice. There's a community and they're yeah. all supportive. Yeah, there really is. And it also depends on the sport too, because when I went, I covered a, um, a tennis tournament in North Van 
Mm-hmm. Great time. Love, like, lovely people. The ten- tennis players are so nice. Um, everyone's so happy. But you go talk to the media people there, and they're just, like, don't want to help you. They, they think they're, oh. going to, they're thinking you're going to scoop them or, like, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so it really is. It's it's such a varied field of, very, of varied individuals. But it's, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like if you take, like, kind of like what I said at the beginning, if you really take those risks and, like, go to these things make and try... Mm-hmm. Um, take these opportun- opportunities no matter how small or mm-hmm. also how big they are and how afraid that is you meet some amazing people and mm-hmm. like if you're really passionate about it and, and know and, communi- and can communicate kind of the nuances that ever, all the other professionals there know they latch on to that mm-hmm. and you just gotta show that that that's what your passion is and they will latch on to you and you everything changes because mm-hmm. you've always been really good at looking for opportunities and taking opportunities and networking and finding peers and coworkers to connect with. Like, how do you do that? Like, how did you even learn that? Um, I socially black out a lot and I, <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like, do you I, have social anxiety at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How do you get over that when you're networking or interviewing or doing whatever? Um, I really don't. It's, it's it's really weird for me to say, like, I really don't know. I think I just, like, put myself in a position where I kind of have to do it. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, everyone is, like, I'm incredibly shy, and no one believes you I am. You could not tell. Yeah, yeah. See, like, see, there we go. So, I, like, I, like, when I'm at parties, I, like, purposely excuse myself to go to the bathroom and just sit and just stand in that bathroom for, like, three minutes and Aww. just be like, okay, calm down, like, here we go. Mm. You Just because this joke you said didn't land is, <laughs> and, like, I'm constantly thinking of, like, things that I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that, like, I'm a huge stand-up comedian <clears throat> fan, comedy fan, mm. and, like, comedy shows, so I grew up, like, thinking doing bits is the best thing. Mm. And so I often, like, when, when it comes across that I'm, like, really sociable, it's because, like, I'm in the middle of a bit. Yeah. And... I have such bad commitment to the bit, even when it's like, <laughs> as in I'm too committed to it that even when it's going terribly, I'll still go through yeah. it. And I think that that kind of helps because if you can kind of do a kind of do a bit and and you'll really you get to engage and see who's engaging with you too, and mm-hmm. then you can latch on and you don't have to latch on, but then you can go into there. And the big thing is is like I think like for me, I went to a. Uh, like uh, the Nat, like the Nash event, like the the student journalism conference, mm-hmm. met some great sports editors. We have, we still have a group chat that we talk, we talk to each other, nice. and went to. I think, I think, like secretly, I think everyone there was jealous of us because the sports, <laughs> the sports people always get along with each other because mm-hmm. it's sports, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really just not being afraid to ask questions mm-hmm. and like be like kind of not so much walk up and say I don't know what I'm doing, but ask questions that they would know but also that the people doing the lectures know oh you you don't know but you want to learn mm-hmm. and that opens up conversation and that opens up talk and, and the talking and in terms of interviews it really is just getting to the point where you can um just be personal with the person with mm-hmm. the person you're interviewing i learned recently the value of having a pre-interview of like calling the person or talking to them for about 10, 20 minutes about what you want to do the interview about what oh. they're what they're nervous of and try and squash those fears and mm. and that's a really great skill because mm-hmm. you get to have an actual conversation whether it be on the phone or in person you get to have a conversation with them and know that you two are real people and you and you're really trying to be there respectfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also have a weird tendency that I want to be everyone's best friend. Mm. I like their best friend. I don't need, you don't, you may never be my best friend, but mm. I want you, Andrea, to know mm. that I'm your best friend. Yeah. And that is the thing is like, I really just want to be that for people. Um, for no real reason. I just want to be liked really. And I think that's the, the big thing is that like, I always like to push, put myself out there because if I don't, I'm going to be the guy that hides in the corner and eats all the food and, mm. and, and that, um, and not engage and socialize and mm. miss out on these opportunities. So it's kind of like a, a, a it's like a fear of, this is what my my routine is. My my natural instinct is to hide and not try. Yeah. And then I force myself to at least try something. Yeah. Well, that's good that you can actually do that. Like I also have really bad social anxiety, yeah. and I used weed as a crutch for ever, like years. 
in years. I because yeah, I I needed something to mute the voice in my head that said, "Oh my god, why'd you say that? That was so stupid." And oh, everybody hates you. And I yeah did some weed and did weed. <laughs> I smoked or ate some weed, and then that yeah. muted the voice. But it also kind of muted my experience there too. Like. Um, yeah. I recently, about two or three months ago, got on an SSRI for the first time, oh. and it it be hitting. It's really kicking <laughs> in now. <laughs> it's kicking in now, and I feel I feel good. Like I, I don't. I, I've also um, I don't know. It could be a combination of a few different things. Like I quit a job that I hated and was suffering in, and I started this medication. And because of this medication, I haven't. Well, drinking was never really. A big problem for me. I was never like a binge drinker, okay. um, but I was a huge stoner, like every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. And I, the medication makes me kind of nauseous when I smoke, so it's really, really cut my consumption back. And yeah, I used to not be able to have social interactions sober. Like it would be so scary for me. It, you know, like I did that too like for me alcohol was the big one mm. um i i learned really quickly that depending on the type of drink i was having specifically beer i get really jolly and i'm really good like mm-hmm. that's where like the most most of the bits land mm. um with like with like, the harder liquors uh those ones were dangerous for me because like i genuinely like kind of like the taste of it mm. and my bits would land really well and mm. I just kept going and that, that, that was the thing of like it was like learning to stop was really tough because when you're enjoying and you things that these things are going well I just mm. want to continue that so I just would continue 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 so it was never really a like alcoholic problem as I absolutely need this to drink to function as a as a person mm-hmm. but I definitely needed it for a long time to be able to be social yeah um like like I wouldn't. Uh, there's there are friends who I straight up did not talk to for a number of years because they didn't weren't drinkers and they didn't want to have a, have friends over and mm. have drinks. So I just wouldn't hang out with them mm. because I didn't have that social crutch to mm-hmm. be able to lean on. Yeah. And now I've learned I've learned the benefits of learning to say only two, only two drinks, only yeah. two beers, and that's it that I'm having. You're in the pocket, you know. You're yeah. in the perfect spot for all the jokes to land, and yeah. you're still being responsible in that. Um, that's not me saying telling people go go drink irresponsibly. I'm just saying, like learning how to control that. Yeah. And I actually like, funny enough, got into weed quite recently. Like now, I think it was like maybe, I think it was like 2020 mm. is when I first started like actually smoking weed. Oh. And um, I I I prefer it over drinking. Like I yes. I, I feel that like me too. yeah I feel I I still look at it like not a social thing to do. Like, for me, weed is the, like, end of the day. Yeah. Like, when everything's done, I have it. Yeah. And stuff. I still have no... I have noticed, like, when my anxiety ramps up, how much I'm smoking more. And learning to control that, it's always, a, it's always really tough. Do you think, though... Because, yeah, when I worked a 9 to 5, I would... That was my routine, is I'd come home and smoke while walking the dog or whatever. Like, and that was my wind-down routine and I would just be high all night and then go to bed and wake up and go to work the next morning. But my anxiety was always... I always blamed, you know, I have to smoke weed because I'm anxious. But if I didn't smoke weed, would I still be anxious? Like, what... Is it a cycle? Like, do you think one causes the other? I think they're all super interchanged. I think... I don't necessarily think one causes each other. I think that, like... Like, if there is that case, then it's definitely the anxiety that causes everything. Mm. But um, I think definitely, like, because like, I'll be honest with you, that's kind of my routine now. Yeah. Like, I finish my, I finish my like, office duties, and I, I come home, maybe do a little bit of things. But, like, usually when I come home, it's like I want half a J. Mm-hmm. And then I have half a J, do my cooking, do all, my, do all my stuff, and then, like, maybe have the other half before I eat. And then, like, mm-hmm. at that point, like, you kind of waste a lot of, like, your at-home yeah to 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 really do it because like i i don't know about you i'm i'm more of a hybrid indica guy like i love the body <laughs> high and i love the just like the like lit, i'd love to just sit on the couch and just let the body kind of mm. z- zen out a minute for mm-hmm. a, a while and i think that like in a lot of ways it's beneficial like i have the best sleeps on saturday night because saturday is like my day to just like do that mm. like 
take as much as I need, like not from the substance I need, but like what I need, like take the time for myself. Mm. And it's Saturday night, I get to just get nice and blitzed, and then I just <laughs> pass out and, and wake up Sunday afternoon. And I and I'm not saying like, oh, this is such a great thing to do, but like having the time for yourself, yeah, I think is the most important. Yeah, and I've recently tried to start making it so that I I consume less kind of substances like like the, like the alcohol and the weed and do the self care off of it, and I'm still finding the same kind of results. But I think it's like sometimes you just miss it. Like this is the same the level of relaxation you get. Mm-hmm. With with it versus off without it, it's so different. And yeah. sometimes you just like, that's what you want, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't. In terms of the question of, do they cause each other? I think to a degree, because the amount of times that I've woken up and been like, oh, okay, I got way too high last night, and I didn't do any of the stuff that I wanted to do. That's definitely a thing. I think that like part of it, it's a band aid, not so much like a yeah. suturing stitching. Yes. And understanding that, like, but like understanding one is a band aid versus actually going in and like healing what needs to be healed yeah. is really important but also understanding that sometimes you just need a band-aid mm-hmm. sometimes a scratch yes. is just a scratch bleeds a little bit you put a band-aid on you relax yeah goes then your body heals on its own time too like learning learning the balance mm-hmm. of that i'm such a libra i love balance so like <laughs> <laughs> learning, learning the balance is really i think the, the key of that yeah and once you know like what is causing this anxiety mm-hmm then I think that's a bit. Then I think it's a bit different. Are you mentally ill? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I think everyone is uh, to a point. I am actually. Um, I'll like fully disclose. Uh, I'm manic depressive. Oh, okay. And I'm like very very close to being like fully bipolar. Oh. Um, and like because there's different like levels and, and things. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Like it's been a like. I really I started counseling a few years ago and like really actually taking counseling like more seriously than mm-hmm. I had before. Because when you try it as a kid, you're like kind of forced to do it. You don't really love it because like I have to do, trust this person that I don't trust myself and don't. Did trust you start everyone. taking counseling as a kid? Yeah, because I was like a depressed kid. Oh, and like I was like bullied a lot. I was super depressed. Oh I, no, like, did not do well in school. I like like grade school academia I sucked at, and that like hurt me a lot. And and um. And yeah, so like my my mom was a teacher, so she was very like tried having counseling, and I didn't like it. So from what age did you identify like your parents were like, oh, there's something wrong with this, like brain chemicals, like we need oh, to get so them. like the media manic is recent, like twenty twenty one ish, but mm. like I tried and failed through counseling so many times as a young as a younger. And, like, it was, like, from, like, I was 10. My mom knew it was something. It was, like, oh, wow. 10, 10, 12. She knew, like, something was happening with school. And, like, I'm not, you know, mm. not the same kid I was supposed to be. And then through that, like, probably, like, 10, almost, like, plus years of my life. I'm almost 15 years of my life. Um, that just didn't change too much. Mm. And it really wasn't until, um, funny enough, it was, like, right before the cascade. Uh, I had, like, just broken up with... Uh, with um not, she broke up with me this is a really important girl i was i was seeing and dating and, and really liking and that changed it all because i that like handled trying to handle that depression and i actually started going to counseling when i was when we were together mm. to handle my anxieties of relationships and like getting confidence so i didn't feel i always had to be on eggshells with her and myself mm-hmm. and that kind of oddly deteriorated things because i got more in my head as i was learning about kind of myself and everything and it really wasn't until after that, like, when that breakup was happening, it was so shattered and broken mm. that I really, like, appreciated what how important it was to just to talk to someone. Yeah. And someone who's there to really just genuinely help you and someone who's there to, like, let you discover your own self. When I eventually, like, did the testing and, like, got the whole, like, this is where I am on, look, type what type of uh, mental health I deal with mm. learning what it was with manic depression how did you get those tests just through the counselor and then through the counselor him just saying oh go to talk to your doctor and say you really need this oh. and um i went from there and went to the hospitals and got stuff it was after kind of like i had a really massive break uh breakdown during like still kind of early into that breakup yeah. where like my friend drove me to the hospital and they did a lot of those kind of things themselves um, and really, it's just a lot of, like, kind of personal testing. Like, they ask mm. you just a lot of, like, in my experience, 
they asked me a lot of questions. They, I wasn't strapped to a bed and administering chemicals <laughs> or anything. It was just asking me questions. Yeah. How I'm managing, like, what am I, how, um, like, in a given situation, what am I feeling? How am I approaching these things? Am I pro- like, how does my brain work? And that's when I learned that I'm a very highly emotional person. Mm-hmm. I have a very high emotional range and a very low emotional range, and they swing a lot. Mm-hmm. So, like, where some people might, they're like, if they're feeling on level 100, that might be level 50 for me, mm-hmm. or like on that dial. And my level, my dial 100 is so far above, or mm-hmm. and that can help guide me. And it's really learning how like to communicate with with myself on like what the emotions are doing yeah and like um the importance of being open and honest about medication yeah like the first set of first round of medication i took did not like but i felt that i had to like it and like i like you know i went through like the different milligrams stuff like yeah. 10 doesn't work 15 doesn't work 20 25 then 30 mm-hmm. got i think i got to like 35 and i was like this is way too much of this and like okay what am i still feeling and it was like almost weekly visits to my doctor mm-hmm. like going through these charts of like how are you feeling on this scale do you feel an impending sense of doom do you feel mm. if you make a mistake everyone would hate you do you like and what level of this and we'd adjust learning that the readjustments aren't you failing mm-hmm. it's you discovering was the big thing for me that I had to work with my therapist on because I would tell him like I'm doing another round of medication and I'm obviously not fitting in and all this mm-hmm. stuff like what's wrong with me might as well just kill myself because like <laughs> I can't buy a house anyways mm. and it was him just and it was really that was the, my, my 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 counselor saying like no it's not you failing mm. it's you discovering and that changed a lot yeah and that that was like those words is what changed everything for me and it's it's been a nuts journey through mental health yeah like i've connected with my father at 30 at 28 29 more than i ever did when i was younger oh and it's been it's like to the point where i've like i don't believe like that i'm connecting with him and like Mm. really talking to him and having these conversations about what i'm having because he you know he's so much of a cause of it and Mm. it also got to the point where like he started learning more Mm -hmm. and trying to ask me like asking me questions about like how i'm feeling in certain moments and mm. like oh what's getting me down and how i'm handling the school and pressure and and everything and um have you had to teach him like how how why has it changed i think one he's he's taking more he's learning more himself and he's l- taken on to going and learning himself like yeah i think a lot i think stuff. a lot of that and but wow. also just it really is just is like that it's to a point where him and I just have these conversations and is it because now you're you start the conversations like you are in a space where you can have those conversations with him why yeah like I think like that that's a big one yeah. I feel like I'm confident enough to actually like be able to tell him this mm. is like, what's happening I was honest with him a lot too but like um what was like growing up and and everything Mm. like that and what i've like been hiding from and not afraid to talk and been afraid to talk about and also just like um where i stand on a lot of my like my own like emotions and and not being afraid to that i think honestly help having that conversation having had some of the medical backing from going through doctors and showing that like my father's a very big empirical evidence type of guy mm. so if you have these like back things he's going to actually believe it a bit more so i think that's kind of that kind of puts yeah. a shadow on it but at the same time like it's him realizing this is also a very real thing yeah and something that he had never done with my family before uh and i think that helped a lot it was also like i have this new kind of connection where i can be finally when i can actually be open and honest with my parents yeah that i never had before and that lets me be open and honest with me and yeah. there's still so much healing like i'll be honest like there's there's still so many times i have an episode and like i ramp up really high like don't get me started on a lot of other converse- like conversations and then the, mm-hmm. like if you get me started on formula one we'll be here until <laughs> 10 p.m because i'll be so excited and and, and want to ramp and talk about it because that's what i love couple of weeks ago i had an episode of just like severe like anxiety depression mm-hmm. with school work and everything and i'm coming out of the tail ends of that but whereas those used to be just my the state my state of mind forever i yeah. now can call them episodes in that and it, awesome yeah and i think yeah it, it's it's weird 
it's not maybe not weird but it's it sounds cliche to say just go get the help and like really take the time to talk about it but like it really is it's scary I still like there's times I still don't like want to go and do it but like you kind of have to yeah there's nothing quite like having a really good hour long cry with your counselor (laughs) and you leave that office and you're like I have completely let everything out yeah what do you find how do you access counselors and stuff like do you use UFE's counselors or yeah Yeah. so I I just messaged I just sent an email to the front desk uh, and student and I think I found out where the office was and walked in and said like this is what I need and that really it that really is it yeah Um, I think the the worst thing about counseling outside of the university is that it's so expensive to maintain yeah and I think that is a barrier that really needs to be addressed yeah. in Canada um, and around the world in, ge- in general, but in Canada uh, especially, just counseling should not have such a price window yeah. onto it. It really is part of healthcare, mm-hmm. and it's like dentistry. Mm-hmm. Like, like it is part of healthcare, and it should be taken care of. Having a price window for people trying to get trying to help themselves is really tough. Mm-hmm. Dude, I want my best counselor. I probably went to. I actually, my very first counselor I went to was also after a really excruciating breakup and I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't function. And I'm finally like, okay, let me talk to someone about this. And so I went to one of the free counselors, not UFE counselor, but like, you know, SUS's student benefits. Yeah. I went through them and I just went to this one lady and she like made a self-care plan with me. And she, it wasn't like, you could tell she was like, like just pumping clients through you know mm-hmm. um but yeah that was the first time i actually was like let me talk to someone when this happened and then i went through a few different counselors and then my best counselor i ever had was a ufe counselor and literally i talked to her and she unraveled my brain and she identified like core traumatic areas and problems in my life and it was so devastating graduating and not having any more access to her and then I didn't see a counselor again for a long long time because I'm like I'll never find a counselor as good as her and I'll, a free counselor like no way yeah yeah it was crazy yeah did something did she show you the iceberg of like what you project all these things mm-hmm. and then like at the very bottom underneath the ocean is like you like mm-hmm. the, the ego um they don't use egos in like this like state of mind they use it as in like you yourself and i remember like my counselor showed me that because i went had this long conversation with him and it got to that point it was like we went through the iceberg Taryn. <laughs> you did it it was like we got through it all and i and like yeah mm-hmm. it's a it's a nuts experience seeing what you've been hiding yourself mm-hmm. uh within yourself too and once you can kind of like connect and balance with that I think you just become stoppable. Mm-hmm. I think that like people who suffer from mental health are just because God wanted to pun- wanted to like suppress how powerful you can be, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm kidding, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a nuts journey. Um, I remember the the one moment that get that gets me. And I was in Hamilton visiting my older brother and his girlfriend. We were barbecuing burgers or something. It was, like, in November. It was a really weird time to be barbecuing burgers outside. But I got sent outside to do all the barbecuing. Mm -hmm. And they all stayed inside, and I did all this cooking, right? Mm -hmm. And when I, like, asked about it, my older brother, specifically my younger brother, who's my biggest critic, was just like, you were acting really dumb and weird, and we just don't want to deal with you. Caution to everyone. Don't get a new medication and then go on a vacation or something. Because <laughs> I had just gone like a new round of medication mm. and I like that's when I went to like thirty five milligrams mm. of it out of this like heavy psychosis and like I just couldn't connect with it. It was mm. really tough and like I was I was still kind of like in the in, in the throes of this like relationship relationship woes and, and overcoming that grief of mm. loss and so yeah. I was weird because I couldn't connect with who I was Mm -hmm. because I was learning how to do that. And to a point, to a, to a degree, I'm pretty insulted that my, my family member would say that like you Mm -hmm. were acting weird. So we banished you. Mm -hmm. And like that, I think that's how a lot of people feel Mm -hmm. is like, if you are open about it and talk about it, you're going to get banished. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like I didn't do that and I did. So mm-hmm. you're going to do it if you're going to do it either way. At least do it. At least make sure that you're taking care of yourself for it. Yeah. And that was also the moment where I was like, okay, so 
if that is how people perceive me when I'm on this high, high dose and like I wasn't enjoying it and I wasn't liking it and it, it fueled things more than it would, than it took away, mm-hmm. then it's clearly something needs to be fixed. And mm-hmm. so I went back and just got a new and had a conversation with my therapist and, and doctor about it. I think like for me, I'm also pretty self-aware, but like self-reflective of, of a lot. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, like when I'm doing my social comedy bits, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like well aware of when I know I've crossed a line of mm. like that was a dark joke or like that. You know, <laughs> or the audience like, yeah, yeah. too, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. Even even some of the audience, like the audience, not always. Like I'll be honest, I'm, I'm really bad at like knowing the audience. Mm. Sometimes I just do it for myself. Yeah, yeah. but um, I'm I'm like aware of the character and bit that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm saying certain things that it sounds like I'm being a jerk, it's like I'm well aware that I'm doing that. The, the weird thing was learning that I could I could also be I could also learn to be aware of when I'm overly nice to people, mm-hmm. which I didn't know you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought you always had to be like very kind, mm-hmm. very like do this. But like learning to say like le- learning to say no, that crossed the line with me. Mm-hmm. Also like like telling someone like okay, f off. Like I don't want to deal with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a huge lesson uh, for me too. But for medication and finding that dose. I would know when I, which I'm supposed to feel at level 100, but I'm feeling at, at 80, mm-hmm. or I'm feeling at 70, mm-hmm. or feeling at 50, and that would bug me, knowing that there was that difference where mm-hmm. this is clearly not me, clearly something else is, is doing this. And I was at an age where um, like, I really think there's a benefit of being able to be early, early diagnosed and being on medication from a young age. I also think there's a massive negative to it too, because mm. um, you don't get that self-reflective and awareness of what who you are. Often medication yeah. pushes on, and um, for me, I knew exactly what it was, and so. But I was able to really. It took me a, a while to really be able to communicate that too, mm-hmm. and that comes with a fear of like not being good enough, mm-hmm. um, and if I commu- if this isn't working, like it obviously if this is a drug that is out there for mental health. It works for everyone that takes it. So how come it's not working for me? Mm-hmm. And learning that it is very individualistic. And that's really okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be individualistic and know that something's don't work for you. Mm-hmm. So you just find, you'll find that you'll discover what does. Yeah. Do you ever find that you talk a lot about like the character of Taryn and like you put on this character when you're doing the radio shows or you're doing interviews are you using that as like a coping mechanism? Like how do you distinguish between the character of Taryn and the real Taryn? It's a really good question. Cause I don't like, I want to answer with like, Oh, I don't know. Um, I think that like the character of Taryn is very unafraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and is not afraid to say something that you may not, you will love or mm-hmm. won't love. And also just, I think, like, there's a safety net of being able to kind of say things and not have someone directly, like, yell at your face about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the character of Taryn, like, very much is unafraid to just say what is maybe, like, on his mind, but how he, like, genuinely feels. Um, and, like, and articulate that. Whereas regular me, off off mic and off off, off the stage... In a bit, um, I think like is so worried about making sure I'm everyone's best friend mm-hmm. that I will never do anything. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of problems I think with that kind of it's it's kind of a um, like I, I do see it as very um, immaturely kind of using character in in some ways. I think there's a way to balance that, and I'm just that's part of the discovery of knowing knowing when and how to balance those the two characters and when they really meet, mm-hmm. but also knowing where like. The character really is me, mm-hmm. and where the other side isn't. And I think there's always a balance between the two of them. Uh, I think that like having the confidence to be the character is the big one. Mm-hmm. Like that, when I when I get to be the character, I'm a lot more confident in myself mm-hmm. because I have this like a different attitude than than I do. And I think that just like like it's 
like learning now, especially in this last year with this uh, civil and doing more with the radio. Like I found out I did over 500 hours of radio content this wow. between 2022 and 2023. Uh, oh, sorry, 20 end of yeah between the start of December 23, uh, 20 January 23 to like now January 24. I've done over 500 hours of it mm-hmm. and practice of it. And through that, I think I've learned to kind of connect that. Oh, the character of Taryn is very much still really me. Mm-hmm. It's just different aspects of me mm-hmm. that I want to like put on. Mm-hmm. And just learning that like how to contemper that is a big one. Because sometimes I go on the radio and I'm fun, wacky, and and just like unhinged, like have these <laughs> unhinged comments and some mm-hmm. some things, which I kind of take a little offense to the term unhinged now because I feel like that has a very negative connotation to mental health. Mm. But how much of that is also me just reading into it? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, but learning that there's that's still me, but there's other the other side of me that kind of has to come out too. Yeah. And learning how to m- meld the two of them together has been like a lot of, has been the, the big journey the last, in this last year yeah. of, of radio and as I started my own show and like learn, getting to really have both sides mm-hmm. come out um, has been a big one. And I think it really has been just like getting, having the opportunity to do that, but also having the opportunity to do that in a creative way that makes me not think I'm actually doing all this work to do it, but Mm -hmm. I'm still doing it. I don't know if that really answered your question. No. (laughs) Like where, where they begin. But I think at some point realizing that there is not a single character that you can discard and go away. Mm-hmm. Because I did do that. I had a, When I had a hard time fitting in, I would create kind of bits and characters. Yeah. And that led to a lot of like kind of pathologically lying about who I was mm. and led to a lot of other types of depression. And when I had a character I could just scrap and go away, that friendship group goes away because that character yeah. goes away. Now I find another friendship group, I make a new character. Yeah. That's not work. Things are catching up to me. That's not working. Scrap it, go away. And then taking the time to not do that have to do something that I'm putting my name on through the cascade and through that journalism aspect, that objectivity of truth and Mm -hmm. what your voice is and the responsibilities of of being researched and understanding. Um, Having my real name put on that, being published, putting it up there, and then also knowing that I'm doing the same thing with my voice, Mm -hmm. I think connected that a lot too. Yeah. It's also a journey of reconciling, like, yeah, connecting... The two and coming to terms with like the real Taryn is a great guy and he doesn't need to hide behind the character, you know? So much. Yeah, I mean, it really is like a lot of the people I've met along the way, like you and and Jandy and Aaron and everyone else that have been able to see that and Mm. let me not be afraid to do that too. Mm. I think that like taking that opportunity to be at the Cascade and like finding that I I love doing this and this is what I want to do, I'm going to like put, put the work in. Let me connect with people who, who see like that side of me too, and that's really I think, the real side of you is really like the passionate side of you, mm-hmm. and when you get to have people who respect that and only want to nurture that side of you, I think that is what really comes out. Yes, that's like, great. Yeah. So if you want to connect to the real self, you just find what you're passionate about and yeah. Go. Sounds oh, super bug. sounds super cheesy to say it that yeah. way. When you think about it, I think it really is just like it's this it's this cheesy way of saying like do what makes you happy. But like, <laughs> but no, it's it's really it's just like like taking the risk of self discovery mm-hmm. and like that's a it's a painful journey, but it's a it's too important not to do, mm-hmm. and you you get rewarded too much for it. Yeah. So your job really makes you happy. Like you have joy in your job. You find meaning in it. Yeah, like, and the meaning finding doesn't necessarily come from me completing a story or anything like that. The meaning comes from the interactions I get. Mm-hmm. Like, hearing other people's stories and learning the value behind that um, and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the people that I interview and um, everything. And, and, yeah, that's where it comes in. Like, mm-hmm. learning that my meaning is also being there for other people. Yeah. And being able to give them the chance to have the same voice and... And that is really important to me. Yeah. That I found in. Also, yeah, like I got to like I like over the summer I got to do my dream opportunity. I um I finally got to cover a B, the BC Lions, uh, the CFL team in BC in uh, British Columbia and Canada. And that 
I, I've grown up loving that team. My first mm-hmm. outing was like, I got a Beastie Lions game when I was like two. I have been a fan since I was three. I've loved football and sports. And I got to spend an entire season of football going to the stadium. Wow. Sitting in that press in box BC at BC Place, wow. where it all began. Where everything, all my my first passion really was, mm-hmm. and I. It's so cool getting to go there hours before the game, seeing everything get set up, seeing the lines get painted on the field or like repainted on the field, mm-hmm. um, and then you go, you watch this amazing, these amazing feats of sport, and you're taking notes about everything you'd want to watch and all the stuff I'd be doing at home uh, or, like, talking with my family about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the, the beauty of technology is being able to type on, like, have uh, text messaging on your on your computer so you can, like, type your, like, I can type my uncle while, we, while I watch the game and create questions with him. And the coolest part is going to go down into the media scrum and you're with the other journalists and mm-hmm. they're all there with you in the press box and everyone's happy. You go lucky. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get the free food and it's great. <laughs> uh, and you get to ask these questions with the players. Mm-hmm. My voice got on TSN and, and, and wow. that. I'm so, that's the, the, the highlight of my career. And um, like, that's the dream job. Like that's quite literally the dream opportunity and wow. the dream job I want. And, and you're living it. And you get, to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not so much living it yet. I'm, at the the stepping stone to it yeah i got myself to the entrance okay and it's through like people's belief in me and learning where the character ends and and everything kind of comes together and yeah like taking that risk it was taking the risk and opportunity not not hiding away from it and Mm -hmm. you know like i got to meet like i got to meet people i've watched on tv since i was like three wow and full circle yeah it's it's nuts it's a it's a crazy experience and yeah, I absolutely love my job. Yeah, and it's it's tough when it's great to love your job. So when all the all the other crap happens around it, you can mm-hmm. still just love it. Yeah, <laughs> and that. But so, yeah. what's next for you then after you graduate? What is even? What are you studying again? So I'm still an English major major for creative writing, mm-hmm. and then I have a minor in media comms that mm-hmm. I'm like fully declared with now. And then my other minor is in economics. But what's next for me, um, I'm taking a semester abroad, uh, going to London, uh, the United Kingdom. Nice. Sick. Yeah, I'm scared. It's my first time really doing like a big trip like that alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm living there for six months. I'm going to a school that has a journalism program, taking classes and courses for that. Amazing. And uh, my radio show and my own podcast is on Formula One. Mm. Uh, and so in England, Formula One is like, like in Canada, you have like hockey. In the UK, you have like football, soccer, mm-hmm. and then you have like, mm, I'm not sure what, there might be like something else. And then you have like motorsport, car racing. Mm. So going to a place where that's a big thing and there's so much more opportunities, I'm really excited for that. Mm. I got my racing license again and, there, <laughs> and it's, and you can... If it works in Canada, you can do it in the UK. So I'm going to be driving some Formula V cars wow. and that. Not Formula Ones, but I'm going to like cut down very cheap stuff. Hopefully, I can. Um, but like all the big teams have their factories out in um, the out by London in the United Kingdom, specifically mm-hmm. Oxford. So I'm going to try to go there, get some tours, and like I get to really just be closer to to something that I'm incredibly passionate about mm-hmm. and love. Um, I remember you and I had some turmoil whether or not we would write Formula One articles in the Cascade. Mm. And then actually one of the biggest, con- the person that got me into doing this study abroad, uh, his name is Walter Foreman. Shout out to you, Walter. Love, you, <laughs> love, you, love Walter Foreman so much. Changed my life because he wrote me an email saying, please give me more F1. I'm an F1 fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these international students are F1 uh, fans. So I got, did more of that. He started guesting on my show when I when I put that together, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, talk communicating with him, and he kept me very very honest and very very like I had to know my stuff and my research on that sport to to talk about it with him. Mm-hmm. That changed everything because I got to love research on mm-hmm. something like that, and then doing the show. He's uh, so Walter Foreman is the associate director of international relations at UFE, mm-hmm. and specifically like handles study abroad. And that's how I got into wow. it and, and everything through that connection and helps with so much of making me f- not be afraid of it. But also be like, like be apprehensive and nervous, but know that that's going to make me be very smart when I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like again it's taking a big massive risk to mm-hmm. discover myself because i've never done anything like this you're gonna thrive i hope so you like, will yeah i'm just probably gonna, you know i'm just gonna go to some some pubs the pub yeah. life is gonna be so different out there mm-hmm. again here's me promoting like alcohol about <laughs> talking about mental health but like just Find socialize. I think. Yeah. Well, they all speak English, so it's not like exactly you right. New language. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm really excited just to go to like arguably one, if not the biggest, one of the biggest cultural hubs in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Nice. And then when you get back, you're gonna continue working for Civil in the Cascade, or like it really how much de- longer are you gonna be at U of E? It really depends on. Well, that's the thing. It really depends on like what happens with that. Yeah. Like, if I can have an opportunity to stay there, I'm going to try and stay there. Wow. Right. If I can, um, or if I can, like, come back and use what I've learned to go take the next step mm-hmm. past the civil in the Cascade, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and go for that. Yeah. It's going to be scary, but I think that's, like, that's the next step is, and the next next kind of risk to discover mm-hmm. is that. Well, is there any final thoughts you have on journalism or vocation or... Finding joy or self-care or mental health or... I didn't... I I made this list of questions and we didn't really touch on any of it because we went (laughs) a different route this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I I was interested what you you would be asking me. Number one, please go to Civil Radio and the Cascade. They are both on the uh, second floor of the Student Union Building on, on the UFE. Engage, engage, engage. Those are such great organizations to engage and learn and... If you're a student at UFE, please get involved, especially at Civil, because boy, do we love student volunteers. Everything else, I think just like, don't be afraid to take risks for mm-hmm. yourself and like, make sure that you know it's for you. Mm-hmm. Like, don't take a risk on anyone else. You take it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, self-discovery is really tough. Um, it's scary. It's painful. But like, you're going to come out stronger with it. And like, just remember, it's not you failing. It's you discovering. Yes. That's the big thing I think I have is just like, don't be afraid to discover and whatever risk you have to take, whatever fear you have to like, you know, you're going to have to face with it. It's not you failing, it's you discovering. Yes. So that's the big thing for me. Um, That's all all I can really say. Amen. Amen. And that's the end of the episode, folks. If you've stuck around this long, you probably like this podcast (laughs) if you like this podcast you'll probably like my newsletter and you'll probably like reading my blog or following me on instagram so if you want to do any of those things support any of my other creative endeavors just go to the description of this podcast episode and you'll find all of those links and thanks so much for being here thanks for listening thanks for your support and i hope you get a really great sleep tonight with really sweet dreams Goodbye.